This is the Soil Sense podcast where we believe that building healthier soils is not just a prescription, but rather a pursuit. It's a journey that requires collaboration, curiosity, and communication among farmers, researchers, consultants, and extension agents. In this series, you're going to hear their stories and discover how and why they're working together to make sense out of what's happening in the soil. there. So glad you decided to download the Soil Sense podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and through this series, we are capturing the collaboration that's happening in North Dakota among farmers, researchers, consultants, and extension agents to improve soil health practices. You've heard in the first four episodes of the series about the potential for building healthier soils, but what happens when we move to an area of the where the climate is even cooler and even wetter. Does that change the game at all? We head up to find out to Logan Center, North Dakota, to visit Sam Landman. In addition to taking over as a fifth-generation farmer of his operation, he manages a a SHARE farm, which stands for Soil Health and Agriculture Research Extension. This is a North Dakota State University program that allows for long-term, field-scale, farmer-driven soil health research. As you'll hear throughout this series, one solution never fits everyone. Sam shares with us his current journey to build healthier soils, the problems he's running into, and how he communicates his ideas to family, landlords, and neighbors. In some ways, it all started for Sam when he bought a new piece of tillage equipment. Well, ironically enough, it it happened uh, when I purchased a tillage implement. I I bought a uh, a, uh, horse joker, which is a high-speed disc type of deal. It's it's aggressive tillage, but it's it's shallow. you know, I started playing around with it, and uh, I noticed that it it it, it uh, deals with the residue very well, and it makes a very smooth seed bed. And uh, after a while, we we stopped chisel plowing, which is what we used to do. We used to chisel plow once or twice in the fall, which is uh, you know probably six inches deep or better. And uh, before I knew it, I was I was jokering instead of chisel plowing in the fall, and then I noticed, or I, I started thinking, well, I, I don't even need to do this in the fall. I can let the stubble stand all all uh, winter long, and uh, that'll help with wind erosion, and then also with the water erosion we have here because of the rains in the springs. And uh, so, if I can make one pass with that and make a perfect seed bed in the spring. Um, and seed right into it, uh, you know, why not just do that? And it will save fuel and uh, protect the soil for, you know, 90% of the year. So, um, but that's that's kind of where we're at now. I'm, I'm really hoping to get into no-till more as time goes on, but uh, that's the system that's working best for us right now is, uh, is that. So, um, but uh, other than that, uh, you know, during that time, when I was starting to get interested in less tillage, I started attending uh, soil health workshops that the, our NRCS puts on every winter, uh, as well as uh, the soil health cafe talks that Abby and the Extension puts on. And uh, yeah, um, that's where I met Abby, I guess. And uh, through my conversations with her, we, she was kind of interested in some of the things we were trying on our farm and uh um you know after a year or two she ended up visiting here in the fall and i showed her around some of the cover crop things i was doing and uh um yeah she that, that's how we got to know each other and then uh yeah so i just kind of 
kept running with it. So Abby, who he's referencing there, is, of course, Dr. Abby Wick, who is on episode one of this podcast series. And I asked Sam from the cafe talks and the other workshops and events that he's been to, if anything stood out in the top of his mind as really having a lasting impact on his business. And the first thing that came to mind was actually from another former guest of the Soil Sense podcast, Dr. Dave Franson. Uh, one thing I learned at uh, the first cafe talk I attended actually was... Um uh, a guy by the name of Dave Franzen, who does a lot of uh, fertility research and uh, soil health things. He, uh, you know, one of the one of the big challenges with uh, no-till is how do you get your nitrogen on? You know, in this area, typically you, you uh, we use urea, and uh, which is a you know dry form, and you, you spread it on top of the ground, and then you work it in with the cultivator, or you'll you'll even do it in the fall and chisel plow it in. And, uh, you know, the idea is there, you, you cover it up so you don't lose it to the atmosphere for the through volatilization. Well, uh, at the first cafe talk, uh, I learned of some research that was done up in Canada, uh, I believe. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, they did a volatilization study at different tillage depths uh, of the urea or different incorporation depths. Um, and we learned that surface applied nitrogen is actually, uh, there's less loss with surface applied nitrogen with laying it on the surface than there is lightly incorporating it shallow in the ground. And, uh, you know, the, like a light tillage pass of the cultivator, even the joker vertical tillage or anything. And, and, uh, that, that, uh, you know, I think that's because the, uh, the enzymes in the soil that uh, convert the urea to a leachable or a volatile form, you know, once once that entire pellet is covered by the soil, it's a, it's exposed, but or it's you know it's got exposure to the enzymes in 100% of the pellet, so it breaks it down faster, and, it, and then it's if it's not very deep in the soil, it'll it'll get lost to the atmosphere. Whereas if yeah you, you place a deep area two or three inches it, there's no loss there but um, if the if the pellet is laying on the surface only about twenty percent of that pellet is exposed to those enzymes that are they're converting it to the um, volatile form and uh, so we learned that and then uh, you know if we get about a half inch of rain that's enough to fully incorporate the the nitrogen into our soil around here. And uh, so because of that, that's that's really changed some of the ways we've applied our nitrogen. You know, we, we, uh, we now just uh, spread it on top and then we use a nitrogen inhibitor to, to protect that pellet while it's laying on top of the ground. And then, uh, like I said, it's it, we typically get, have a pretty wet spring around here, so we can usually count on a, a good rain to incorporate that within a week or 10 days. So, um, yeah, that, that's the biggest takeaway. So the landmen's were able to go from using this horse joker for some of their tillage needs to eventually not even needing their chisel plow at all. You know, we actually sold our chisel plow. Uh, a few years ago, Dad bought a brand-new 55-foot chisel plow, we used it one fall, and last year Dad sold it 
with the original shovels on still, just because we hadn't used it in a couple years. You know, we we still have an older chisel plow that just in case we want to use it somewhere, but uh, we just don't see any need for it in our farm. You know, um, uh, it's it's been you know the minimal tillage thing has been working out very well for us so far. I haven't seen any compaction uh, issues in our fields. We you know, it seems like when we chisel plowed, it uh, it would turn the ground, it would make it real soft, but then, you know, what happens when you drive a heavy piece of equipment over soft ground, especially when it's a little wet, you know, you, you compact it. Um, you know, so we're, we're kind of, my, my idea is to build our soils from the, you know, from the bottom up, you know, to reduce our tillage and, uh, and then uh, firm it up a little bit so that we can improve our trafficability and stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, most years it's it, it rains quite a bit in the spring, and uh, you might have a day or two to get to get quite a few acres in. And uh, the you know so it's challenging with no-till because sometimes uh, you might have uh, it, it you may not be able to get into the field because it doesn't dry out or the soil doesn't warm up quite as quickly. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, we're hoping to see, you know, long-term no-till if those kind of things improve, if we can uh, improve our traffic ability and uh, improve uh, the soil structure enough to where uh, we're able to get across the field better, so. So Sam uses this minimum tillage approach on about 90% of his acres. He's got about 10% that he says are in no-till. And if he ever wants to get to kind of complete no-till, he's got to do this process of, like he explains, building the soil from the ground up. And one tool in his toolbox is he has a really diverse crop rotation. In his area, he's growing wheat, pinto beans, corn, soybeans, malting barley, and field peas. Another tool for him is cover crops which he started a few years ago um so i first started experimenting with cover crops in the fall of uh i believe it was 2017 um i seeded i started seeding radishes with uh our planter in 30 inch rows i i kind of got the idea of uh doing bio strip till uh i know uh You've talked to Joe Brecker down there, and he, he does some of that stuff, and I, I kind of wanted to try that. Uh, we One benefit of that is I feel like our planter is cheaper to run across the ground than our drill is. There's less, less moving parts, less row units. Uh, I can use a little lower rate of seed. and it, it's, The planter seems to do a better job in no-till anyways. It, it seems to have a the double disc opener has a uh, a more positive uh, way of opening the furrow and uh, reducing hair pinning and stuff. So, so I I, uh, I, I seeded uh, radishes directly into wheat stubble in 30-inch rows, and uh, you know my my goal there was to uh, create a uh, a dark strip of residue there in the spring that uh, would possibly uh, warm up a little bit faster that I could plant pinto beans into to uh, do no-till. Um, and then also the deep tap root would break up any compaction or anything, and then you know ideally uh, uh, scavenge any nutrients that might have gone down deep or whatever. And, and then uh, and then I started planting pinto beans right on top of them, the the radish rows the next year. 
and uh, it, it's been working pretty well. Um, we've been we've been doing some other cover crop things. Uh, we have seeded some with the drill in the wheat stubble, and uh, we've seeded uh, oats after our pinto beans. So the pinto bean ground is typically very black, and it, it's uh, it's exposed to that winter wind all 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 winter long, and to have that little uh, growth there and root structure really helps to stop the wind erosion. So right. um, no, we're really hoping to increase our uh, mix of cover crops and frequency of use as time goes on here. And, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of part of what I'm hoping to get out of the share farm research. Uh, research here is uh, what cover crops will work here, and you know what planting timings work and planting methods work the best. Um, so, yeah. And this gets to the heart of why Sam and others are excited for this share farm program, because it's a big risk. Even if you have a lot of questions and you're seeking better answers about soil health, just because something's working on a different part of the state doesn't mean it will work in your area. So if you can localize the research and share what people are doing, uh, it can lower that risk to build healthier soils for local farmers. Sam elaborates with a little more background on the share farm and why he wanted to take on the share farm program management. Yeah, so uh, the share farm is a—it's just a collaboration between uh, NDSU Extension soil health people and uh, and uh, farmers. And uh, there is one that existed down by Morton, I believe. I've never visited it, but I would love to someday. Um, I. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned to Abby last fall when uh, she was riding the combine with me that we should uh, we should have a second share farm in the northern part of the state where we have different uh, challenges and different growing seasons and different crop rotation that kind of thing, and uh, and uh, she kind of ran with it and uh, yeah, it's you know we I think we we really need the research in this area because of that because of the challenges up here and. Uh, there is uh, quite a bit of interest from farmers in this area uh, in soil health building practices, uh, reduced tillage and cover crops. But a lot of people are maybe sh maybe shy away from a little bit because of the risks involved uh, and, and the unknowns of uh, um, you know how it'll affect your cash crop and, and your bottom line basically. And uh, so you know to have. Uh, a share farm here that will hopefully provide some of those answers will you know give people the confidence to try those things sure. so um, but yeah it's uh so it's a uh, it's about a hundred acre field that we're uh, experimenting with it's, so it's it's field scale soil health research um, there's there's different uh, there's gonna be different things out there uh, tillage strips and tillage with cover crops. Uh, no-till with cover crops and uh, no-till without cover crops, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, but there's, the opportunities are endless, I think, there for, for research and sure. uh, especially with our, our diversified crop rotation up here, so. 
and lowering this risk for farmers to consider adopting soil health practices is critical because it cannot be overstated enough the simple fact that farming is a business and any practices if even if they're going to have a positive effect long term need to affect the bottom line so is sam seeing any short-term economic gain from his soil health building practices uh Yes, because of the increased water holding capacity, we are, at least on our farm, we're, it seems like we're getting better yields with the, the beans, like I said. Uh, so it is. Um, you know, there are some fuel savings and stuff from less passes across the field, or less intensive passes across the field, I should say, uh, tillage versus a planter pass. Um, that's kind of minimal. Um, but you know, uh, I would say any any savings right now that we're uh, we're getting from less passes across the field is is more than made up for by an extra pass with the sprayer because we we are finding that you know you know with uh, uh, less tillage uh, we're uh, we're getting rid of one crucial tool for weed control so we'll have to do an extra pass of the sprayer either in the fall or the spring to do a, a burn down before we plant or after the crop is harvested. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's, you know, the huge short-term benefits, but there is uh, with uh, uh, yield and, um, you know, our yield history is improving a little bit with these crops. Um, so I, I think the long-term benefits will be there for sure. But, you know, we're always up against short-term economics when you're, anytime you're transitioning to a new practice. So Sam is able to manage the short-term economic impact of changing his farming practices while remaining optimistic that they'll pay off long-term. And I think it's important for this series to address the realities of building healthier soils and not to just paint it as an easy transition in something where all of a sudden a, a, a switch flips and, <laughs> and all of a sudden life is good. Uh, there are some challenges, both economic and otherwise. We're, we're, we're wrestling with uh, uh, high moisture in our soils, uh, being able to get into it, and then also high residue. Uh, con uh, we're, we're, we, have, we have hair pinning problems with our, uh, um, our no-till equipment, uh, uh, like our single disc drills and, st and disc planters and stuff. They, if the residue isn't quite dry or if it's too thick, it'll, it'll hair pin and then you, the seed won't have any soil contact and it won't come up. Um, so, you know, that, that of course starts with uh, residue management behind the combine, uh, spreading it better. And uh, yeah, so we're having residue management challenges and moisture challenges. And uh, uh, that's, that's the biggest thing. And um, yeah, it, it, you know, like I said, we have short time windows. Um, the thing with residue with disc drills is you kind of have, it seems to work better if you see it in the afternoon when the, when there's no dew on the residue, when it's, uh, when it's dried off, it, the, the disc cuts through it a little bit better. And, uh, but I mean, if you don't start seeding till the afternoon, you know, half your day is shot. So I, I'm hoping to, you know, experiment with different, uh, seeding equipment and, uh, just seeing what works best for this area. 
But despite these challenges, farmers like Sam continue to problem solve and troubleshoot and innovate and find ways that they can have their cake and eat it too, that they can realize better short-term economic gains as well as more long-term sustainable practices in building soil health. An added element that I was curious about with Sam as he is transitioning the farm uh, from the fourth generation, so his dad, to himself, the fifth generation, of what his dad kind of thought about all these soil health practices and how that transition was going. Uh, we got a good transition plan in place. Uh, Dad's, uh, he's a uh 63 years old he's starting to uh give hand the reins over a little bit to me i guess and uh, we're slowly uh transitioning things um you know it, right away it was a little tough to get dad on board with the whole soil health thing and the, the uh minimum tillage stuff uh, but uh, he started seeing the benefits and he's fully on board now and uh, uh yeah it, so he we go back and forth a little bit, but we agree on most things, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's 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 a pretty good relationship. So. And what were his concerns at first? Uh, just the risk factor, you know, of doing things. We know the way we were doing things worked. Uh, conventional tillage works around here. Uh, it's uh, but just un, untested territory, I guess. You know, getting into things that we don't know, the unknown, um, and. Uh, you know, everyone says that, you know, it'll, it'll, you'll never get into the field. It's going to be too wet in the spring if you don't do tillage and whatever. And I, we just haven't seen that. We, I, I think we can get into the field as soon or earlier than we used to with uh, conventional tillage. Hmm. So. And why do you think that is? I would say the trafficability and, uh, you know, just the firmer ground, uh, you know, not running up the ground, and uh, it just, um, uh, we've improved our drainage. Uh, that's That's been one big factor, and uh, done a lot of surface drainage in the past uh, several years. Uh, uh, that's really helped with getting into less tillage because we don't have uh, that tool anymore to dry out the ground. Um, so if we can get rid of our little nuisance spots here, you know, that aren't, aren't wetlands or whatever, but that just the little water holes that fill up in the spring and, uh, prevent a guy from getting in the field, then, uh, that's really helped with, uh, trafficability. And I think that's probably the first step towards, uh, moving to reduce tillage is improving your drainage. So I feel anyways. Right. So. Sam's dad isn't the only person he needs to make sure he communicates with about his ideas, especially if they're out of the box in building soil health practices. Sam also makes a point to communicate with his neighbors, what he's doing, and definitely his landlords. Yeah. Well, we're fortunate that all our landlords are, are understanding of that, and uh, we, we made it a point to communicate with them beforehand uh, anything we're trying on that land, just... In case they drive by it and you know think we're being lazy because the, the you know the the field is stubble instead of uh, tilled up nice. So, um, but we explain to them, you know, why we're doing things and uh, the you know try to explain the benefits to them that the uh, the the land is going to be uh, uh, we'll have less erosion problems and and just be around longer hopefully you know and uh, have a sustain a higher level of production for a longer time and increase the value of the land for them. So, sure. so, um, 
And most people are, you know, all the people we rent from are very understanding of that. Yeah, so, yeah, I would think yeah. that would be a good differentiator for, for you as well. Right. I mean, not just being a dollars and cents cash right. rent issue, you know, you're yeah. actually making the ground better. Right, I, but I, you know, I haven't ran into it yet, but the, the there are disadvantages to that too. There's some landowners out there that want to see the, the ground black, you know, and uh, so that might make it difficult to to get into a piece of you know, a ground that I would like to rent maybe if that that landowner farm or feels that way so one thing that strikes me about sam and other farmers we're going to cover in this series is how much energy they dedicate to thinking about different ways they can improve their operation constantly gathering more information talking to people and trying to make connections about how they might move the needle a little bit in the next year so how does a guy like sam manage all that in addition to his regular farming responsibilities uh it, it's pretty consuming uh you know i it's something I'm very interested in, so I, I spend quite a bit of time researching throughout the winter and uh, just watching videos and attending workshops and uh, connecting with people. It, it uh, So I, I try to be as prepared as I, I can be by the time spring rolls around and it's decision-making time. And uh, But Mother Nature doesn't always agree with your plans in the spring, and so plans change. And you know, uh, But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely time-consuming. Um, but it, when you're kind of on the forefront of doing things differently in your area, you, you know, it's a, it's a little bit longer learning process, I think. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, it takes a little time, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. All of this information can definitely be daunting, and then you combine that with the risk factors we've already discussed about trying something new, and some practices may not work out. So where can a farmer start? I would say right there on your own farm. Uh, everyone's got, this seems like they have a, a small field here and there that uh, they can experiment with. That's kind of how I started. Uh, uh, some people dive right into it and just do it all or all or nothing. I, I, I like to make sure that it's going to work before I adapt it on my whole farm. So I would say just start experimenting on your own farm with uh, uh, just trying no-till and cover crops and uh, play around with different settings on your equipment and uh, just figuring out what your what, what works and what doesn't work and what you can do to uh, uh, curb those challenges, you know, the things that don't work. So um, as far as... Uh, uh, getting information on how to start, uh, just ask somebody that is doing it successfully. Uh, I've had, I've found tremendous value in that. Uh, um, and also, uh, you know, Abby Wick and the NDSU Extension team do a really good job of answering questions. And uh, um, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to people, I would say. So. Sam also mentions getting a lot of help from other farmers on Twitter, where you can follow him at slandman9, where farmers help farmers regularly find out what's working in each of their respective operations. So despite the challenges that you've heard here, I asked Sam, what does he see or experience that keeps him encouraged and keeps him on this path to healthier soils? So I, I, I just... I like seeing green out there. You know, I like seeing uh, living biology out there. And when you start digging around in the ground, you start seeing uh, the soil come alive because of the living root out there. Um, it's just kind of addiction. You know, it, once you start it and you start seeing the benefits, you you want to keep trying it and do more and more. So. 
So if you ever find yourself in the Logan Center, North Dakota area, make sure you go check out the Share Farm and some interesting things that are happening out there. Thanks so much to Sam Landman for being part of the Soil Sense podcast. And I hope you enjoyed uh, getting to hear about his experiences and sort of this soil health journey that he is on. If you'd like to know more, please go to the website, ndsoilsense.com. That's www.nd, like North Dakota, soilsense.com. Big thank yous as well to the North Dakota Corn Council and the North Dakota Soybean Council for making this series possible. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating and review. Uh, We'd love to spread the word about these stories of soil health. Thanks so much, and we'll be back next week. 